that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye Talk. This is going to be normal. Doug Marie, Stephen Means, and Nathan Baird. We're doing Big Ten picks. We're doing Ohio State midseason awards because in a pandemic year, 3-0 and is midseason. That's kind of close, at least, especially when you have a game canceled. So we are not making an Ohio State-Maryland pick. I almost thought about, like, hey, let's make our pick if they would have had a game. What would your pick have been? But we don't have to think about fake stuff. We have enough trouble thinking about real stuff. So we're each going to make three Big Ten picks. Then we sent out a survey to our loyal tech subscribers with categories like offensive MVP, defensive MVP, most improved player, breakout candidate for the second half, most head-scratching player so far. We will go through our texture results, and Nathan and Steven and I will each give our answers to those mid-season awards for the Ohio State Buckeyes. But this is the Picks and Preview pod. We normally do this live on Thursday night with tech subscribers. We, are, we will plan on doing that next Thursday, Thursday night for the Friday podcast in anticipation of the Indiana game. And I will tell you this, tech subscribers, be on alert. And anybody who's listening to this and says, oh, that sounds cool. All you have to do is send a text to 614-350-3315 and you become a tech subscriber for free for 14 days and you can do this. We're doing a live post-game Zoom Saturday. Nathan, Steven, and I are going to watch Indiana, Michigan State at noon. It's on ABC. We're going to watch it. And then we're going to jump on basically as soon as it's over, around 4 p.m. And we're going to do a post-game pod all about Ohio State's next opponent, all about what looks like Ohio State's toughest opponent the rest of this regular season. So if you want to start, if you want to have a game on Saturday that you're really invested in, watch Indiana, Michigan State, and then come on. Come on with us in the Zoom. We'll send out the link later in the week. So again, if you want to do that, just do it for the Zoom for a one day, you know, kind of save your Saturday with no Buckeyes game and then cancel, cancel the tech subscription. That's fine. We don't care, but come hang out. We have a good time when we do that. So that's our plan for this weekend. We want to fill that gap for you guys a little bit. I think the rest of this Big Ten slate is pretty interesting. So we're each going to make our three picks, but I would just like to maybe go through a little bit each game and talk a little bit about each game, and then we can say whether we're picking them or not, because I, I am intrigued by a lot of these. And we'll start with Iowa at Minnesota, which opened as a pick line and now has moved to Iowa minus three and a half. Iowa beat the pants off of Michigan State last week, which I think, Nathan, you predicted, and I was on the wrong side of that. I took, like, Michigan State plus a touchdown. They lost by 50. What do you think of the idea of, this game starting as a pick and now this moving toward Iowa as the favorite here? I think it's people recognizing that Iowa started 0-2, but it wasn't like they were just getting obliterated in those games. They lost a close game at Purdue. They lost a close game at home to Northwestern, which looks like it is maybe the best team in the West or could end up winning the West. I don't know if they're the best team, but could end up winning the West. So, I mean, to be 0-2 at that point, it's not the same 0-2 as – when teams are just getting, you know, run over. I think that there's some, and, and I think it's Minnesota's maybe the team that is underwhelmed a little bit, you know, losing to Maryland, um, you know, some of the other results we've seen from them. So, and they've had some more issues with, with COVID. I think they've, they've missed some guys from that. And I think some of that's still lingering. So I think all those were kind of a factor in people recognizing that and, and Iowa winning that game last year too. I think that Iowa might just be the better team. Iowa might just be the better team. 
is Iowa just the better team here? Or are they actually maybe like a good, a good team? Because I, I think it's been hard to get – I keep every, – every week I come on with my brilliant picks and say, oh, I can't get a read on any of these teams in the Big Ten. But I don't know. I mean, Minnesota still has Tanner Morgan and Rashad Bateman. I'm not picking this game. Steven, are you, are you messing with this game at all? What do you think of this one? You know, I didn't pick this game. I'm staying as far away as, as possible from Minnesota because I, I, I think they're the Western version of what Penn State is where I'm not really sure what to make of them at this point. They, there's some talent. There's quarterback talent. Rashad Bateman is probably the best wide receiver in the Big Ten, but that hasn't clicked for whatever reason. And I, I think Iowa's good at what they do. They're good. At, they're solid at what they do. I, I didn't pick this game, but I, I just don't know what to make of, of what Minnesota is, and so I didn't feel comfortable with that. It's hard because there's been a lot of teams who have gone against their preseason perception. And I think like three games in right now, you're sort of still hanging on to some of the preseason perception. You haven't entirely let it go yet, which I think can lead you down the wrong path. But yet on the other hand, if you thought, well, you know, this team has a little more talent. I think if you completely let go of it, then all of a sudden a team can sort of figure it out. And now you're way off. So I am also staying away from this. Nathan, are you picking this game? I did not, no. Okay, so we're staying away from this. Next game is Indiana at Michigan State. As we said, this is going to be a noon game. Ohio State plays Indiana next week. It's at the moment is Ohio State's next opponent. This game started off at Indiana minus nine and moved to only Indiana minus seven. Listen, if you actually think that Indiana is a top 10 team, Michigan State lost again by 35 or whatever it was to Iowa last week. If you really believe in the Hoosiers, this line feels low to me. That why wouldn't you be willing to give seven in a game like this? But I'm not doing it. I'm staying away from this one too. And I think it's a little bit if it was if if you if this was Penn State, that it was you just put Penn State's jerseys and Penn State's preseason perception on Indiana and said they're they're three and oh, they have Michael Penix at quarterback, they have some skill players, they have a good defense, they're Penn State, and they're only minus seven against Michigan State. I think I would take it but I'm not taking this. So I don't know if that makes me smart or makes me crazy. Is anyone taking this game? I took it. I, I don't know if Indiana is a top 10 team. It's, I mean, it's, it's 2020. I don't know how many teams are actually top 10 teams and how many teams are just haven't been hit by the COVID bug yet. But they've shown me enough that I know that they're better than Michigan State. I know they're a touch, at least a touchdown better than what Michigan State can be. I think the line might be higher. If, I, yeah, if they were at home, yeah, this might be a 17-point line if Indiana was at home just because obviously things can go sometimes. But I think – Home field's not worth 10 points. Home field's not worth 10 points. Yeah, though. Tyler Shoemaker is is throwing his podcast through a window right now. It's a seven-point line, and you're like, if it was was in Bloomington, I mean, it's like a 30-point game. I mean, that's – Yeah, especially this year. Yeah, it's probably not. I I think they're they're a touchdown better than Michigan State going into Michigan State. I had no problem picking this game. It sounds very reasonable. And I think we have to to, uh, make sure that people know that Steven so far this year is seven and two against the spread in these big 10 picks, I am five and four and Nathan Baird is four, four and one and coming off an O and three week. So actually I think that it was a couple weeks ago, maybe when Nathan picked the Michigan state, Iowa thing. I don't know. I just, Nathan didn't have Iowa last week. I was wrong about Michigan state last week, but Nathan did not have that on the games that he was right. Uh, So, so Steven means, I mean, like 
It's a little too obvious to me, but it's not too obvious for the guy who's seven and two. So Nathan, are you touching this one? I, I stayed away, which again, maybe, maybe a bad sign, but I'm just, just the timing of this coming in between Michigan and Ohio state for Indiana uh, going on the road against a team that isn't, it has, it, it has something figured out. Now maybe that was very specific to what it could do against Michigan where you could just have Rocky Lombardi throwing balls up down the sideline and Michigan guys flailing around and not really knowing where they were and, and, and Michigan state guys making catches. Maybe that's specific to that matchup. I don't know, but I think they can, I think they can play within the touchdown or I think, I, I, I think they can play within a touchdown enough that I'm not taking that game over some of the other options. Yeah. I mean, again, it's going to be quite a thing. Again, we're watching this. We're going to all three of us going to watch this and then do a post game podcast about it. I mean, this is like the, the big game you got teed up for the Buckeyes. If we end up talking about like, well, what do you think about that Michigan State upset of Indiana? It's going to be like, are you serious? Like, I don't think that's coming. So, um, again, just to, to, you know, to, to our bona fides a little bit. Steven, last week, we all lost with Ohio State minus 38 against Rutgers last week. Steven won. He had Maryland plus 25 over Penn State. Maryland wins outright. He had Indiana plus three over Michigan. Indiana wins outright. Uh, I had Northwestern minus three over Nebraska. That was correct. Northwestern is the only team I've gotten right so far this year. I was wrong. I had Michigan State plus six and a half over Iowa. Michigan State got blown off the field. Nathan was on the other side of Penn State, Maryland. He had Penn State minus 25. They lost outright. And then Illinois plus seven over Minnesota. Um, Illinois lost by more than seven. So that was Nathan's 0-3 last week. Who has... This big Wisconsin-Michigan game. This line started off as Michigan minus three. It is now Wisconsin minus four and a half. Nathan, are you touching this? I wanted to. I really did. I really thought about taking the Wolverines here, actually. Um, But without knowing who's actually going to play for Wisconsin, you know, come back to me on Saturday morning, and maybe I I have an actual opinion on this game. But right now, I feel like there's so many unknowns that I'm not going anywhere near it. I also stayed away, but Stephen Means, you did not stay away. I did not stay away. At some point, you just got to have a leap of faith. And I have faith that Grant Mertz is going to be the quarterback to take the field for the Badgers. And I think that's why the line, which started out in Michigan's favor, started to creep towards Wisconsin. And now it's four, four and a half for Wisconsin. I think as the week has gone on and nothing has come out about Grant Mertz being positive, it's been in Wisconsin's favor. And so if he plays, this is a pretty comfortable line. If he can pick up right where he left off in week one. Well, nothing's come out about him not being able to play, but nothing also has necessarily come out about him like actually practicing and getting prepared to play the game on Saturday. That's the other fear I have yeah. that even if he can play, how rusty is he? When did he get to start practicing this week? What, you know, what's, what shape is he going to be in to go out there and, and win a Big Ten football game on the road? And if it's not him, then it's like Sammy uh, Vanderboom or whoever his name is, the, the fourth string guy that they're like pulling out of the crowd so I don't know who has more interesting names between Maryland's roster and Wisconsin's Wisconsin always has a Vander something so or a van something which always makes it interesting um I will say I just thought this was this is a good some weeks I felt like I don't know what to pick I'm picking the last three games that we haven't mentioned yet or the three games I'm picking I I didn't do the other two but I actually if the other games weren't as confident to me I would have gone Indiana minus seven, Wisconsin minus four and a half. I think those are pretty good picks. They're just they're, they're a little more up in the air to me than what, what is left. Um, and one of them that is left is Illinois at Rutgers. And Rutgers is a favorite. 
Rutgers is a seven-point favorite in this game. Who is riding with the Scarlet Knights, or who's riding against the Scarlet Knights here? I'm, I'm taking the, the flying Illini, the, uh, <laughs> the fighting Illini. Um, plus seven. To me, it just comes down to, do I believe that Rutgers against another Big Ten program should be a touchdown favorite no matter where that game is played right now. And I don't, I just, I, I saw the second half of that Ohio state game, but I also saw the first half when it was 35 to three and Rutgers looked like a, um, a, a mid tier FCS team as usual. Like it just, it, I, and I know Illinois is not good either. And I know Illinois has, has lost to other teams that aren't great this year. Like as in when I picked them last week against Minnesota, it was taking the points, but seven just seems like a lot for me to, that's a lot of faith to put in Rutgers right now. And that line hasn't moved. It opened at seven and it stayed there. I think. I'm curious. They played with nothing to lose in the second half against the best team in the big 10 when they were down 32, but why wouldn't you start the game like that against Illinois? Like Rutgers never has anything to lose. It's year one of Greg Schiano. You didn't even think this season was going to get played. Like, are they going to go say, all right, Illini, let's go toe to toe. Or are they going to try 14 trick plays again, not to stay pseudo competitive in a blowout, but to actually try to win. Right. I don't know. You, Nathan, you kind of said that like, you know, well, okay. They're doing all these trick plays. Do they ever just hand off to the running back? Should they do trick plays in this game, or should they play normal? They threw lateral in the opening kickoff of the Ohio State game. I mean, I, no, I, but, I that's so, but that's Ohio State, but it's Ohio State. They're a favorite. As a seven-point favorite against a team with fairly equal talent, do they play with a similar nothing-to-lose, kitchen sink kind of idea, or do they play normal? Yeah, I, I think they will probably do – I mean, they didn't – Okay, they did throw a lateral in the opening kickoff against Ohio State, but they didn't bring out the kitchen sink really till the second half. They didn't really empty the closet until the second half and when they were down 35-3 to three and there was nothing to lose. So I, I think it's probably more likely that they try to play them straight up, especially being at home, than they, than they come out and just take the lid off to start the game. I think it'd be a lot of fun. It'd probably be the most fun Illinois-Rutgers football game in the history of the world. But uh, I, I, I think it'll probably play out a little bit more boring, a little bit more sloppy. A little bit worse. Just worse. It'll just be bad football. I do think they were good at the trick plays. Like, they didn't, right? They didn't fumble any of those trick plays. They didn't throw an interception off the trick play. Everything they did worked from a football standpoint. So, I don't know if that gives them any more, you know, incentive or affirmation of, hey, you know what? Let's do a double reverse and have the receiver throw a 20-yard pass because that just looked like a good – offensive play against Ohio State most teams don't play that way that's not what they do but on some level this whole season for Rutgers is the Ohio State game Greg Schiano is back he's not coaching for his job he's there for as long as he wants to be there so I wonder how much they'll roll the dice I don't know if I wonder enough to actually try to watch this game but I do wonder about it a little bit Stephen what do you have a take on Rutgers Illinois or do you not think about it I mean, no, I did. I, I, it's part of the reason I didn't pick it. I think they are going to be a little bit more, a little bit more aggressive and try some of these plays in the second half. Just because, I mean, you wouldn't. Have, yes, Ohio, you did it in the second half of a game where the game was already decided. But this is a game you can actually win. So why not be more aggressive and try it in this game as well? Not necessarily lateral pass, but you pull out some other ones. Just because now you're not just doing it because you're trying to stay competitive and build a culture you're doing it because you're trying to win a football game and I I wouldn't be surprised if no not as often but if once every two or three series you pull one out there 
on a you know a fourth and seven, I wouldn't be surprised to see it. But I also trick plays sometimes can go horribly wrong, and you end up giving up a defensive touchdown, which is why this was I don't think as easy of a game for me to pick. I also I am riding with Nathan on this one. I'll take Illinois plus the seven because maybe Rutgers runs thirty trick plays and they all work and they still only win by four. I'll take I'll take seven points against Rutgers anytime. So. Nathan and I both Illinois plus seven Northwestern has been the, the team that I've won on all year Northwestern against Purdue. It's at Purdue. Purdue started as a two point favorite opened at Purdue minus two. It's now Northwestern minus two and a half. And I am taking Northwestern again. I think Northwestern actually has a pretty decent mix offensively and defensively that they have, played some pretty you know they held that Maryland team down in week one they held Maryland to nothing and I get it Talia Tonga-Vailoa was it was his first start they were new but we've seen what that Maryland offense has done since then and Northwestern didn't let them do anything Northwestern I think was sloppy early on against Iowa and then completely shut Iowa down and pulled away in that game they do have a defense and Peyton Ramsey Sean Wade even sort of out of the blue shouted out Peyton Ramsey this week that he was saying like Nathan, you know, he was talking about quarterbacks and, and that kind of stuff in the Big Ten. You're writing a story about that. And he was just like, yeah, that Northwestern guy. I'm not even sure who it is. And it's just like Peyton Ramsey, who's a veteran dude in this it's league. Like a, I thought about interrupting and saying, like, it's a guy who threw, like, for 300-some yards against you in Ohio State a couple years ago when he played for Indiana. Yeah. that it, He looks like he knows what he's doing because he knows what he's doing because he's been around the block a lot more than some of these guys. I just think Northwestern's – Overall, the better team. I don't think they have one of the best offenses in the Big Ten. I don't think they have one of the best defenses in the Big Ten. But I think they might, in totality, be as balanced on both sides of the ball as about anybody shy of Ohio State. So I took this confidently. I've been confident on Northwestern all year. I have Northwestern minus two and a half against Purdue. Anyone else taking this one? I took Northwestern minus two and a half. The big caveat here being, it sounds like George Karloftis isn't going to play. That's a big hit for Purdue defense that can't really stand to lose a lot of star power. And we still don't know if Rondo Moore is going to get on the field. I think without those two guys, uh, although Purdue has some other talented guys, um, I I don't think they can beat Northwestern, even at home. Um, So I would probably even, if those guys can't play, I would take Northwestern more than two and a half. However, I will say, if Rondo Moore can play, I mean, this sets up as being like Purdue's biggest home game in, I don't even know why, because if they can beat Northwestern since 2018 when they beat Ohio State. <laughs> well, but even that game, it was that was more of a um, there's more at stake. There wasn't there's more at stake in this game, because if they yeah. win this game, they don't play Wisconsin. Now that game was canceled. So they they are they're in the driver's seat for the West kind of if they win this game. Um, but I think it's a tall order. I think Northwestern is just better than them right now. And especially with those personnel issues that Purdue has, I'm taking the Wildcats. Because yeah, hard with Northwestern, uh, Northwestern just played. They were 21-20 over Iowa in week two. Last week, 21-13 over Nebraska. So they're not playing real high-scoring games. If Purdue puts up some major points, Northwestern might have trouble keeping up. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah, I also took Northwestern in this game because those exact reasons, Nathan, just, they're missing their two best players, one on offense and one on – that's a lot. So I, And Northwestern, I think, is the best team in the Big Ten West at this point. I, I think they're going to – I'm not going to say breeze through this game. It might be competitive at times. But I can take that two and a, minus two and a half pretty comfortably. I'll be it, – it's a, it's a prove-it game. It's funny. I mean, it is. It's a prove-it game for, like, mm-hmm. both these teams right now. And there is so much at stake. Northwestern still has Wisconsin on the schedule because that game has not been canceled. 
the Purdue Wisconsin game has already been canceled, as Nathan mentioned. So the path really opens up for Purdue, but also both these teams will be paying attention to what's going on with Wisconsin, Michigan, because you know that's another. If if, if Michigan rises up and knocks knocks Wisconsin off, it it helps a little bit. So uh, Big Ten West, not super great necessarily. Although yeah, if if Wisconsin's for real. We might be looking back three weeks from now and being like, remember when we thought Purdue or Northwestern might win the Big Ten West? Wisconsin's like making a playoff run. Like after week one, Wisconsin, it's very interesting. After week one, Wisconsin was like, yo, we had everybody's attention. Very curious to see what Wisconsin looks like getting back in the saddle this week. Last Big Ten game, Penn State at Nebraska, the line opened Penn State minus four. It is now Penn State minus three. Steven, you are not taking this because your three games are already in. Did you think about this game at all? Yes, um, but I, I just don't know what to make of Penn State at all. I, don't, I think they should be one and two right now because if you look at that Indiana game, everything about it screams Penn State one outside of what ended up happening at the end of the overtime. But I just don't, I don't know if I should believe what I saw against Ohio State where it was a quality team just running up against one of the best teams in the country or – is this a fake team who got blown out by Maryland to Maryland? I just don't know what to make of that enough to make a confident pick there. And then Nebraska, I have no faith in. I don't think Penn State's done. They did get tough news. They, they, they knew it, but it was announced to the world this week that Journey Brown, their excellent running back, who I know some people thought had even maybe potential as like a first or second round NFL draft pick, his football career is over. He has a heart condition that, had, they had said he had an undisclosed medical condition. It was why he wasn't playing this year. He then made it public. He has a heart condition, and he cannot play football anymore. So that's a really tough thing for that player. And we see how Ohio State is missing that guy. Or excuse me, how Penn State is missing him on the field. But I do think Penn State just has more there. This is my best bet. This is my best bet of the week. I just think, I just think Penn State shows up. And I think – our friends at Penn Live, the great coverage of Penn State they have there, they were just saying things last week that that was like the worst game of the James Franklin era, right? And like if this is still a talented team, week one was wacky. Week two was against the best team in the conference. Week three was an absolutely deflating once in a decade kind of you didn't show up kind of game. So then how do you come back the next week? I mean, if you come back and don't show up again – I think James Franklin's done at Penn State. Even without Journey Brown and Micah Parsons, they have too much talent to not show up in consecutive weeks against Maryland and Nebraska. They've got to go win this. So I feel very comfortable with the idea of they go out and take care of business. They might take care of it by 35, or they might only take care of it by 10 or 14. But I think this is a – I think they are a significantly better team than Nebraska. I like this line a lot, Penn State minus three. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, I'm taking Penn State minus three as well. And a lot of it, to me, just comes down to Nebraska's not a good football team. Um, you know, they've scored 30 points in two games, one of those being the Ohio State game and 14 of those in the first half. So the last six quarters of football, they've scored 17, 16 points. Um, and I know that Northwestern's a pretty good defense, too. I just don't – I don't see them being able to outscore Penn State. I know that Penn State's got some issues, but they also showed some things in the second half against Ohio State, I thought. There, there's something there. Um, they, they're they're – they're, they're getting in their own way too much this season, but there is something there. Um, I think the 0-3 is a little bit deceptive still. 
And if, if they play a different schedule to start the year, they're probably not 0-3 right now. So uh, I'm taking them to, I think, pretty easily cover minus three at Nebraska. That was rock bottom for Penn State last week. So when you hit rock bottom, do you bounce back up or do you get stuck in the sludge and you drown? So it, it's, a, it's a show me something game for what, you know, before the season when we were doing tiers, we were like making the case this is like seventh, eighth, ninth best program in the country. You start knowing four? Like, I get it. Michael Penix might have been a millimeter short of that pylon in game one. Ohio State beat you. And then you just had the worst game you've played in 10 years against Maryland. But are you going 0-4 for real? Because if you're going 0-4, we're not who you think – we're not – you're not who we think you are. And if you're not who we think you are, then you need to change because you got to get back to being who you think you are and who we think we are. What? Who do I think I am? I held it together for 20 minutes before I got off the rails this time for this podcast. It's got to be your bull for the Tommy Boy fans out there. Yes, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Never mind. Push over the, the cow. Okay, so we are going to come back with our mid-season Ohio State football awards, what the texters said, what we said. Thanks for tuning in. This is our Friday picks preview pod, but we're also doing halfway awards for the Buckeyes. We'll be right back after this. All right, back with our Ohio State Midseason Awards. I, I spent, it took me forever to edit the two-hour Thursday podcast. And one of the reasons it took me forever is the other night, there was some condensation on my glass and it dripped off to, onto my trackpad on my computer. And it's glitching right now. So I have to have a mouse. And I could hear on that podcast I was like lifting up the mouse and putting it down. And when I was trying to move the cursor and I was like, what is that little thump all the time? So I was took out, I was taking out thumps and I couldn't get rid of them all. So I'm trying not to thump in this podcast because I am a professional, but if you hear a thump, it's my mouse. And I apologize. I have to wait for my trackpad to dry out. My wife and I do this. Sometimes we try to think about having boring conversations that adults have about like, hey, do you think we should go buy some new couch pillows this weekend? You know, like you do them kind of fake. We were young. We did like fake, boring adult conversations. And now we just are boring adults. And now we have them for real. And condensation on the trackpad, man, that is a boring adult conversation. Hey, guys, you ever get condensation on your trackpad? I hate having to use a mouse. Question one. Who is should Ohio State? recording now? What? Yeah. <laughs> should I start recording now? <laughs> That's right. Nathan is processing this podcast, so that may not make it. That may not make it. The, this is the discretion of the processor. Perhaps that will be lost to history. We'll see. Who is Ohio State's offensive MVP other than Justin Fields? Listen, we, we had some Cleveland.com awards that we did a couple years ago. Bud Shaw and I like, got dressed up in suits, and we did these awards, and we had people vote. And we had an award that was called like the LeBron James Best Cleveland Athlete Award. And it was when LeBron was still here. And we named the award after him. And we took him out of contention. Because if we hadn't, it would have been like, well, everybody would have voted for LeBron. And it was like, oh, what a fascinating reveal by the voters. LeBron James is the best athlete in Cleveland. So that's the idea here. If we had said, who's Ohio State's offensive MVP? I would have personally tracked down anybody that voted 
for not Justin Fields and said, you're kicked out of the tech subscription. We can't have you in here. So of course it's Justin Fields. So it's the Justin Fields honorary offensive MVP that goes to someone other than Justin Fields. And so I just tried to pick like the five other best players on this offense as options. Those options that I gave the texters were Jeremy Ruckert, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. I said the tackle combination of Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere, because I thought that was okay to list them as a duo. And then of course, Demario McCall as the final option. So who I'm moving my cursor so I can see Demario got 3%. So thanks to love to everyone who voted for Demario McCall. That's the only one I put in just for me. So bad. Listen, and it takes, takes a little time to do these polls. Sometimes you do one just for Doug. That one's for Doug. 3% for Demario. So let's do both of you, who you think won, and then who you would have voted for. Nathan, who do you think won? I think Chris Olave won. Steven, who do you think won? Chris Olave. Steven, who would you have voted for? I would have voted for Garrett Wilson, obviously, but I also would have seriously considered Jeremy Ruckert uh, just because that versatility, all the ways that they're using him a full, as a fullback, they're spreading him out wide, using him as a decoy to get guys like Jamison Williams open for touchdown passes, lining him up as a normal tight end. There's a serious case that could have been made for Jeremy Ruckert as well. Just let me ask you this very quickly. If they said to you, Steven, you must pick up an Ohio State offensive player and lock him in your trunk for the next two months. And it must be either Jeremy Ruckert or Garrett Wilson. Who would you lock in your trunk? Oh, uh, Garrett. Oh, no, no. Actually, I phrased that wrong. You would kidnap Garrett Wilson so that you guys could hang out. I meant that in a <laughs> sense of he can no longer play football for the Buckeyes. This is like the aliens. Oh. Nathan, I, I phrased that incorrectly. I actually just asked Steven yeah. if he wanted to kidnap Garrett Wilson or not. And his answer was like, of course I want to kidnap Garrett Wilson. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if you were going to abduct an Ohio State football player and then, like, make a suit out of his skin, like, which one would that be? <laughs> To be fair, Jeremy Ruckert's like six foot six, two hundred and twenty-five pounds. I'm not six foot six, two hundred and twenty-five pounds. It would just be easier to do to kidnap Garrett than it would be to kidnap Jeremy well, Ruckert. First of all, you'd have to catch him, which you're not going to do, and then secondly, you'd have to outmuscle him, <laughs> which you're not going to do. So I, right. you're not catching any. You're not kidnapping any. I mean, of these you're not guys. catching any of these. It's just when you go down the list of people who are actually you're able to. You can't kidnap Justin Fields because people will see you with Justin and go, "What are you doing with Justin?" And then everybody comes up to him and wants to take pictures. I think Chris Olave's kind of gotten to that point as well. Jeremy Ruckert isn't famous enough, but he's too big. I think I could at least set a trap for Garrett, and he's. And as our textures have shown us, he's not famous enough yet to where maybe if I throw a ball in the air and he accidentally muffs it, then I can go get him as he's trying to get the ball when put him in the trunk. This is going off the rails. We also wow. know, to be fair, we should have saved this conversation. Actually, question number five is which Ohio State player would you kidnap? I, I, I did that too early. Yeah. Actually, it's not. I apologize, Nathan. Also, you can you can cut this part out too. The part yeah. where I asked where Stephen incriminated himself. <laughs> By the way, oh, that was great. <laughs> we wish nothing but the best for all these amateur football players at Ohio State. But if by some odd coincidence Garrett Wilson does get kidnapped now, <laughs> even means is so much the number one suspect. This is what I meant, Stephen. If if you had to say. 
for the rest of this football season, either Jeremy Ruckert or Garrett Wilson, one of them can't play the rest of this year. Who would you say can't play? Who, which, which one would you pick, pick to remove? I would remove Ruckert just because there's two other very uh, – Just because Garrett Wilson has 70 guys. catches so far? He, so I, I appreciate yeah. you trying to say you would vote for be nice. Garrett, but, but you thought about somebody else. Jeremy yeah. Ruckert is very valuable. He yeah. is. I, I did not buy your, like, well, I, I would think about Rucker before I voted for Wilson. Okay, so. Okay, fine. Yeah, it's Garrett Wilson because he's freaking Garrett Wilson. Okay, yes. That's better. Okay. Nathan, who did you vote for? I wanted to vote for Alave and Wilson almost as like a tandem, the way we have the tackles. But since that's not an option, I'm going to give it to Alave slightly just because of what I, the, the way I feel like he makes plays on the ball. The, the big play potential that he has on, I think, every given play. Not that Garrett Wilson couldn't do that. They just use Chris Olave in a different way, more in more of a vertical way, and he's coming through in a way that I don't think this offense had every single snap last year, even with him out there. I think he's improved enough that it's, it's, it's added another dimension. So I think we have seen that this offense likes to throw to the slot receiver. So that is not a surprise. You know, K.J. Hill was a leading receiver on this team. The, the, in 2018, Paris Campbell and K.J. Hill went through the roof in combined stats while playing slot. So it's not only about stats, but you do have to add in that 65-yard Garrett Wilson run to start the Penn State game. That was a, an important play. And again, it's about opportunity, but it's also about production. Production matters. That We do know Garrett Wilson has 26 touches this year because he has two runs. Chris Olave has 18 touches. Chris Olave has 288 yards this year. Garrett Wilson has 411 total yards from scrimmage when you add in the run. So he's, he, in three games, he has 123 more yards than Chris Olave. That's like 40 yards a game more. So I also would vote for Garrett Wilson and the tech subscribers voted for Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson, the winner of our midseason offensive MVP, he got 41% of the vote. Chris Olave got 31% of the vote. The tackle combo got 22% of the vote, which I thought, you know, for non-skill guys, was a pretty nice little nod to those fellas. And I did think, I know what you're saying, Nathan, you almost want to vote for the receivers, but I thought putting the tackles together, listen, they're tackles, they're offensive linemen, they need a little help. Um, other, I will say real quick, you have to, that 65-yard run, a bunch of it goes to Jeremy Ruckert and Chris Olave, who made the blocks that made it happen. No, that's true. I agree with that. But also, I mean, like, are we in the business of like, I mean, you know, that that's true on every play. It's like, okay, Justin Fields is, has completed 80% of his passes, but you have to remember Wyatt Davis picked up a blitzer. It's like guys do their jobs. You are correct. However, you are correct. However, they scheme that up very nicely. It wasn't like Garrett Wilson did a spin move or broke six tackles on it. He had a lane because guys took care of their business. Other got 3%. DeMario got 3%. Jeremy Rucker got 1%. So, uh, you know, it's hard for a tight end. The, the numbers are just staggering of, again, as we've talked many, many times, 24 catches for Garrett Wilson, 18 catches for Chris Olave, nine catches for Jeremy Rucker. Nobody else has more than five. It is just staggering how much they lean on those receivers in this offense. So Garrett Wilson, the non-Justin Fields offensive MVP. Probably Who is Ohio State? What's proud that? Of you. I'm proud yeah. of you, Texas. I, 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 I like the fact that, again, Stephen was so angry about people not voting for Garrett Wilson in the which two of the three would you keep that we went over in the Thursday podcast that he yelled at the Texters. 
which I, I, I'm, I'm here for yelling at texters. Thank you for your money. Here's Steven yelling at you. <laughs> but I do feel like I don't know if that influenced them. You worked the refs a little bit, Steven. That, that, that was smart by you. So I think Garrett might have won it anyway. But, um, you know, I think the court will be happy to hear how you helped him win this award if and when we do go to trial on this thing. That, you know, where is Garrett I earned, Wilson? I earned knock, my knock, knock. I earned my paycheck. As a kidnapper, you earned your paycheck. Defensive MVP. This is wide open. I do not even know who I would call a favorite in this. And I listed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys as options. And I, I, I guess I could, I, I'm not sure I couldn't have listed 13 guys. Here are the people that I gave as options. Jonathan Cooper, Tuff Borland, Pete Werner, Baron Browning, Tommy Togiai, Sean Wade, and Haskell Garrett. And then other. Other got 1%. I think we covered it with the other seven guys. I'm surprised by the winner. So, Nathan, who do you think won? Nathan. Who do I think won? Uh, Jonathan Cooper. Steven, who do you think won? school Garrett I also it's hard for me because I see him but I really thought in my head that Cooper had a very strong case that the Texers might go for who would you have voted for Steven who did you vote for I voted for Pete Warner because I, I think he was my first game time decision I wanted to see if he could be amongst the, lead, the team's leaders and tackles basically average six tackles again and when you look at the stats he is he's tied with tough boiling for 16 tackles this season and it, it the linebackers have been really good this year, and so you haven't noticed that they've been really good this year because you've been paying attention to the secondary not being as good. But he's been really solid moving into that Will linebacker, Malik Harrison role, and you need him to be solid. You need that linebacker to be – you need to be able to look at him and go, okay, he's going to rack up tackles because he's going to be all over the field, and he's done that. Who did you vote for, Nathan? I voted for Tommy Togiai, and for me it comes down to – the, that word valuable, it's not necessarily the guy who's the most outstanding, although he had maybe the single most outstanding game for defensive player so far with what he did at Penn State. But also this defense needed someone on that front, the middle of that front to step up. Or really it needed him. It needed him to be what he has been. You've got to, if you're the nose tackle for a defense that's going to go out and do what Ohio State wants to do this year, I think you have to, you have to play at the level he's playing at. You have to command double teams. You have to you know, make the offense kind of react to the personnel that you have. And he's done that. I think he's been tremendous through three games, uh, kind of creating a wall up there, uh, helping him, you know, solve what could have been potential problems as far as stopping the run this year. Um, he's been big. And Garrett's been big too, but I gave the edge to Togia. So there are eight Ohio State defensive players who have played at least 100 snaps so far this season, according to the wonderful 11 Warriors snap count. Sean Wade's played 175, Pete Werner 154, Baron Browning 143, Seven Banks 129, Tommy Togiai, excuse me, Marcus Williamson 127, Tommy Togiai 124, Tuff Borland 120, Jonathan Cooper 101. So that's not the only thing that matters, but I think honestly, I mean, it's got to be probably one of those eight, right? Not that it's a surprise that those are the eight guys, but the winner is not one of those eight guys. And I think. I think the, maybe the voting a little bit caught up here. Listen, the texters aren't looking at stats. They're like, you know, living their life and getting on their phone and, and voting. Haskell Garrett won, and that surprised me. Haskell Garrett got 46% of the vote. Like, he won handily. Wow. wow. Handily. Yeah. 
Tommy Togiai, 33%. So 79% of the vote went to a defensive tackle, which is very interesting from where we thought this team was a defensive tackle before the season. Pete Werner, 10%. Jonathan Cooper, 6%. I'm surprised it's that low. He has played by far the most snaps among the defensive ends. I do think he's been by far the most impactful defensive end. Everybody loves him. He's a great story, but he's also been the most productive he's been in his career. I thought more people would vote for him. Tough Borland, 3%. Baron Browning, 1%. Other 1%. Sean Wade, 0%. I put Sean Wade in there because I know we've talked about Sean Wade admits he, should, he could be playing better. He's still their best corner at an important spot where you have questions in the secondary. I also would have voted for Togiai. And, but if I didn't vote for Togi, I might have voted for Cooper. I think I might have voted for Cooper. So I'm, I'm just a little surprised. Well, Nathan, you've written about Haskell Garrett. Why do you think Haskell Garrett won? I think there's some, some sentimental vote here. I mean, the guy who overcame a tough situation, obviously, in the offseason. And a guy who I think people went into that first week, and maybe this is our fault, but I mean, it wasn't our fault. We just didn't know he was even necessarily going to be able to play for sure that first week and not only does he go out and play he has a big game he he really kind of changed the complexion of that game a little bit in the first half when it was a 17-14 game and made some big plays against Nebraska and kind of led them into that that blowout in the second half and uh, he's just been really solid this whole time and let's not forget if Haskell Garrett wasn't doing what he's doing Tron Vincent's been kind of hit or miss and a lot of miss actually these first couple games has a big couple big penalties and like maybe one big tackle, but like hasn't really been there yet. He's still coming along. And if it wasn't for that, I know Antoine Jackson played all right, but if not for Haskell Garrett being there doing what he's doing, it, I think there would be a big gap in the middle of this defense right now. Narrative matters. And I think when you didn't even think somebody was going to be playing because they got shot in the face three weeks before the season started, and not only are they playing, but they're player of the game in that first game. And then being on the being down on the A deck, not necessarily on the field for the two home games, I got to actually get, got to look at his face while they were warming up, like before the Rutgers game. I mean, he got shot in the face, so it's but it's not the most obvious thing on his face that you can tell. Oh yeah, that guy got shot in the face. If you didn't know it, what had happened to him, and you just saw him walking down the street, and so. When you combine what happened and the expectation that he probably shouldn't be playing football right now, but then also he's playing pretty well, that's why I guess that maybe they, for the sentimental reasons, that's why he probably won this. I will also say it is a reminder of the difference between this year's defense and last year's defense. Because if we had asked a question three games into last year's defense, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Jordan Fuller, Malik Harrison, Davon Hamilton, like you just would have had a list of guys. I think Damon Arnett, I think you would have gone five or six deep before you would have gotten to a player like Haskell Garrett, who is a good, solid player who has played well, but hasn't even played 100 snaps and, you know, is not Chase Young. So I just think it's a reminder. I was fascinated to see it because as it was like, hey, we're getting rid of the candidates ready for this question. It was like, oh, my gosh, there is there is no odds on favorite to me at all. I thought that could have gone any direction. And in the end, I am a little surprised that Garrett not only was the choice, but was such an overwhelming choice. He's played very well, though. He has played very well. I'm pretty sure we did a video last year where we said, you cannot name Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, or Malik Harrison, who's the fourth best defensive player on this team. Right. We had to do that, that last year. And this year, we don't necessarily have to do that. Right. Question three. Ohio State's most improved player 
here were the candidates. Seven Banks, Tuff Borland, Garrett Wilson, Nicholas Petit Frere, Haskell Garrett, Tommy Togiai, Thayer Munford, and Other. Other got 1%. I think you gave me a – that's not the list I have. Say that again, I, most improved player? I added Borland in, I think, okay. from where I was. Yeah. Okay. I think I added Borland in. Okay. Munford, Banks, Togiai, Garrett, Wilson, Petit Frere, and Borland. Gotcha. Are the candidates. I will tell you there's an overwhelming winner here. Nathan, who do you think won and who would you have voted for? Well, I think there should be an overwhelming winner too, although with Garrett in there being the one they just picked as a defensive MVP, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I think it's Nicholas Petit Frere in a landslide. And who, is that what you, who you would have voted for? That is who I would have voted for. I mean, it's a guy who couldn't play last year, really, for all intents and purposes, barely played, even when they needed to back up a couple times at tackle, and now he might be all Big Ten first team right tackle. Steven. Who do you think won? Who would you vote for? Same for both answers, MPF. I mean, he's having a Wyatt Davis type moment. I don't know if he's going to be All-American this year, but the fact that he went from as a second-year five-star not playing to all of a sudden he's in a starting role, and you can make the argument that he's been the best offensive lineman on this team so far this year. I mean, that's a that's improvement if you've seen improvement before. I mean, Garrett, yeah, he's but he was good last year. It's not like he had to take a level up. He's just getting more of an opportunity. For Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, went from not playing to – being the best guy on an offensive line that had a preseason All-American and another guy who could have won a Remington Award. I agree, and our texters agree. 55% of the vote for Nicholas Petit-Frere. Overwhelming winner. Haskell Garrett, second at 20%. Tommy Togiai, third at 12%. Garrett Wilson, Tuff Borland, each got 4%. Thayer Munford, 3%. Seven Banks, 2%. So I think that's kind of an obvious one. Um, Good candidates, and I think like Tough Borland's like an interesting candidate. He's playing really well, and we've he's been dogged a lot on this podcast by listeners and by hosts. So Tough Borland is playing at a really high level, I think. Um, but Nicholas Petit for I think is the overwhelming choice, and I was not surprised that he got more than half the vote for that one. We're gonna we move have a winner to the Lattimore Hooker Award too. I think that's been solved at this point. Nicholas Petit Frere. Jumping yeah. from non-starter to All-American candidate. Well, I think yeah, Tommy Togiai could go in that same contention. He as could, well. I don't I even know if he was someone that I listed the first time around. Frankly, he could, yeah, but he was also at least in that rotation of that three-man rotation of the interior guys. Like those two guys weren't playing, and now then they turned into All-Americans. Fair. You, so you're preparing people for Petit Frere and Togiai to leave after the season? Oh, I um, think it's they. they more, it's certainly more, a possibility. More, more Togiai than Petit Frey just because he's a lineman, and I don't know. It'll be interesting. Petit, Petit Frey keeps saying he's at 315, which is – I think he said he came in at 265 when I got here. He's at 315 now. I wonder if he'd need, like, another year still to maybe try to get even a little more than I that. I think he might, yeah. Or, or, or at least you're also, he can keep it up. You're also a right tackle. It's not as if he's a left tackle where I think that the, you know, the te NFL teams are even more desperate to get guys there. I think, you know, right tackle, it's not quite as um, – he might not have the same incentive to come out early. I wonder if there might be a it's, – it's hard because I think we've seen right tackle in the NFL. A lot of times now teams are now putting – Miles Garrett does it. They're putting their best – pass rusher sure. over the right tackle instead of the left tackle it's not all about the blind side anymore mm -hmm. so they're sort of looking for matchups and it's like listen probably your left tackle is better than your right tackle so we're not just going to say we're going to put our best defensive end against your best lineman we're going to say let's let's exacerbate 
the mismatch. Let's put our best defensive end, our best pass rusher against your lesser tackle. So then if your right tackle is also good, that really matters a lot. That's kind of a weird convoluted thing. The point I'm trying to make is, could we have a situation with Nicholas Petit Frere like we had with Sean Wade of, hey, Mm -hmm. listen, I'll come back, but I would like to play the position that I think is going to not only help the team, but help me at the next level. And is Nicholas Petit Frere in 2021 the left tackle for this team? Maybe, but there was no Paris Johnson at cornerback for to contend with the Sean Wade decision. Yeah, Sean Wade could was the natural guy to move outside, whereas there wasn't. You know, it's not like they had Seven Bings and Cam Brown, who might both have been as good as Sean Wade. But Paris Johnson isn't going anywhere. And if Nicholas Petit Frere said, I'm not coming back to be a right tackle. I've already been a right tackle. I'll come back to be a left tackle or I'm not coming back. That's interesting. I don't get that vibe from him just as a person and from talking to his, his family and some of the people a little bit last week. So, but maybe. Not that it would matter. It's like they're going to be the two. T- you know, if he's back, Petit Frere and Johnson are the two starting tackles next year. So they can figure it out. They'll be fine. He's been really good. Number four, question four is moving off Ohio State. And we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because it's an Ohio State podcast. And we just spent the first 20 minutes on non-Ohio State things. What's, who's the most surprising Big Ten team so far? Either good or bad. And it's like you listed them. Um, I listed like almost everybody. that there, there actually are a lot of surprises. So Northwestern, that's a good surprise. Maryland, good surprise. Indiana, good surprise. Rutgers, good surprise. And then Michigan, bad surprise. Penn State, bad surprise. So, Stephen, who do you think won and who would you vote for? I think Penn State won, but I voted for other and put Minnesota in there. And the reason why is in our own poll, they were picked to be second in the Big Ten West this year. And some people even – 13 people picked them to get to the Big Ten championship game and lose to Ohio State. And they're nothing close to that. I, I voted for them to, be, to get to the Big Ten championship game and be the best team in the Big Ten was. And I have been totally wrong about them in every sense of the way. And a lot of those weapons are still there. It's not like – Tanner Morgan's still a starting quarterback, and they're just not anywhere near – it makes last year look like a fluke. It's a great point. I should have put Minnesota in there. Nathan, who do you think won? Who did you vote for? I think Penn State won, and that's who I would have voted for. If, if you're just looking at where these teams are after three games, um, the, the most surprising result is Penn State being 0-3. Now, that means Indiana had the surprise a little bit. Uh, Maryland had surprise a little bit by being able to beat Penn State. But, but for them to be 0-3 at this point is, even with what they lost, I think is, is genuinely shocking. And I think we all talked about, we keep saying, we, we talked about Indiana as a dark horse. Everybody did. But it's the Maryland loss last week that is really makes Penn State extra shocking. It's like, okay, well, they played a close game with Indiana. We thought Indiana might be good. They lose to Ohio State. But to lay an egg against Maryland just was like, where did that come from? Penn State, clear winner, 59%. I also would have voted for Penn State. Indiana second at 25. Michigan at 8% was third. And I think a lot of our texters like, oh, Michigan's not very good. And our texters would be like, oh, yeah. Like, we didn't know that. <laughs> Maryland at three, Rutgers at three, Northwestern at two. Question five, and we'll get to it right after this. Last three awards in our Ohio State midseason awards as a 3-0 Buckeyes not playing Maryland this weekend. What player is most ready for a second-half breakout? So we're trying to, like, narrow down – get the exact right wording on some of these, you know, sort of like 
who maybe hasn't done what you thought, but who might have something good. So this is sort of the looking ahead one. And like Justin Fields is not on this list because he already broke out. So he can't have a second half breakout. Here are the nominees for second half breakout for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Jamison Williams, receiver Jamison Williams, receiver Jackson Smith Najigba, defensive end Zach Harrison, running back Master Teague, cornerback, freshman cornerback Ryan Watts, safety Josh Proctor, defensive tackle Teron Vincent, running back Trey Sermon, defensive end Tyreek Smith. And we did have 4% other in this one. Steven, who did you vote for and who do you think won? I voted for Jamison Williams and I think he won as well. I think uh, yeah, it makes sense that they've been leaning so heavily on Chris Olave and, and, and Garrett Wilson this season. But I think as we get deeper into the season and maybe they play some teams who might be able to scheme something up, maybe Michigan, maybe the Indiana game is where it starts, but especially in the playoff, somebody's going to have that schemed up. And by then Jamison Williams will have enough snaps under his belt. He's at 113 this year and four catches and 60 yards and a touchdown. I think there's, one or two games out there for Jamison Williams where they're so focused on what Chris Olave and what Garrett Wilson are doing or trying to also make sure that Jeremy Ruckert isn't the wrinkle out of that, that JMO gets wide open down deep and maybe he gets two or three catches like that and he's got 120 yards and two touchdowns. I think there's maybe the Indiana game and then, and then the playoff game where that happens for him. Nathan, who do you think won? Who would you pick? So I think Stephen might be right as far as Jamison Williams winning. I would think that the combination of, of Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith might actually win, if, if you know what I'm saying there. Like, if you were to vote for them as one entity, maybe they would have the most votes combined. Um, but I, I would vote for Tyreek Smith. He was my – when we did a um, our outrageous predictions for the second half, he was my pick that he'll lead this team in, in sacks over the second half of the regular season. He has zero right now. And I don't want to get too far ahead into our next category, but just the, the defensive end rotation and the way that we've not, not just seen those guys used, but the way that they've produced, I think has been a little bit confusing here in the first three games. I will say from rewatching these games, you're seeing Tyreek Smith get pressure. You're seeing him get um, to the quarterback a little bit or get into the backfield. So it's not just always resulting in sacks. Um, and, and and, and maybe some of this will sort itself out in the second half. I don't know if there was some behind-the-scenes stuff that determined the way these guys were used in the first three games. But I, I'm, I'm eager to kind of s- to see how this settles out over the second half because I think if you, we had all said before the year that, that Jonathan Cooper would be, you know, playing as many snaps as he is um, and, maybe, and at the expense of some of these guys that we thought were going to be the team leaders in sacks, we would have all been pretty surprised. Tyreek Smith got 2%. Trey Sermon – got 2%. Teron Vincent got 4%. Ryan Watts got 5%. Jamison Williams got 6%. Master Teague got 11%. Jackson Smith Najigba got 17%. The guy I would have voted for, Zach Harrison, got 20%. And the winner, clearly, with 30%, Josh Proctor, which I think is people anticipating maybe he becomes the starting single high safety. Uh, which is one of the things when I said three per, I wrote something earlier this week, three personnel decisions possibly facing the Buckeyes. And I delved into that. And in 2018, when they had some issues in the secondary, the one thing they did was make a change at safety. And Isaiah Pryor started the first eight games that year. And then Brendan White started the last six when you count or the last five, I guess. Because uh, they didn't go to the national championship game, so that's that's the issue. I th- I think maybe that's coming, and if you give Josh Proctor more snaps, I think maybe he becomes that kind of guy. 
But I voted for Zach Harrison because I think it's there. I just think, you know, he has done some things. He's, he hasn't got – he's fifth, I think, or fourth or fifth in defensive fourth. end snaps. Fourth in defensive mm-hmm. end snaps. Clearly behind Cooper, who's way ahead, and then Tyler Friday and Tyreek Smith are next, right? And it's mm-hmm. not close. So I just think you see a little more Zach Harrison. I just still, I just still think that's coming. And, again, a lot of this stuff is how long do you hold on to preseason perceptions? How long do you, you – know, at what point do you sort of let them go? But I just thought maybe this guy was ready to have a, a huge year, and I still think maybe that's out there in the second half for him. This is our most sort of negative category. And we don't want to be too negative because they're unpaid amateurs. But, you know, we're also here to serve listeners and here to serve tech subscribers. Who's been the most head-scratching player so far? And that was a term as we were trying to come up with categories, Nathan, that you came up with. I like that word, right? You thought that was a pretty like fair word to try to describe what we're searching for here. Yeah, and because also sometimes, again, just because we haven't seen production doesn't necessarily always translate into the guy's been playing poorly. Um, so it, it gives you some more leeway as opposed to just saying who's been bad. Right. Just a little confusing, you know, like, like, Hmm. You know, that's like, ah, just a little, huh. Kind of just like a little bit like, I mean, it could, yeah. It's one of those things where it turns out uh, you find out later, Oh, I was playing with a a broken toe for the first month of the season or whatever. And like, they didn't just didn't tell anybody for obvious reasons. So, I mean, that, that, that allows for things like that. It did happen with Chase. He told us at the end of the year in 2018, he was playing with two broken ankles. And then the next high year, he gets 16 sacks. Two. Yeah, two high, yeah, wow. Yeah, two high ankle sprains. And then the next year, he gets 16 sacks. You're like, oh, that's what he looks like when he's completely healthy. Six yeah. more sacks. No, it's true. Um, that, that happens all the time. And we can't pretend that we know everything that's going on with guys. So I think this is a good phrasing for this category. The nominees, Trey Sermon. Marcus Hooker, Josh Myers, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, Jamison Williams, and Zach Harrison. Nathan, who would you have voted for? Who do you think won? I would have voted for Zach Harrison, and I think Zach Harrison won. Um, Because Marcus Hooker, I know he had some issues in last game, but I also think people should be realistic about the fact that he's a first-year, first-time, third-year starter, um and and some of these other guys are are obviously good players i don't think any of them are have just completely collapsed as players or anything like that but with harrison again this was a guy that i think people expected to start from day one to be you know a a guy really kind of announcing his presence this season really breaking through even larry johnson right before the season when i was asking about him was talking about that the you know the ceiling is as high as zach harrison kind of wants it to be if he wants to go get it and he's Really not been that much of a factor. He's got one and a half sacks. So he's played well in spurts, but I think it's just the fact that he's been so limited, really, in that rotation at times and, and been kind of an afterthought at times. Yeah, it's like it feels like he's playing okay when he's on the field. It's like, why isn't he on the field more? Mm-hmm. That is, right. Which is like literally like it makes me scratch my head. It's the head scratch, yeah. So, Stephen, what would you have said here? Yeah, I voted for Zach Harrison for those reasons. It's not necessarily his play. It's just – the amount he's allowed to play, which is more of a Larry Johnson question than a, a Zach Harrison, why are you playing bad question? But I think Trey Sermon might have won this because I think there's a head scratcher of why are we still trying this two-back system when one guy has clearly not played well? I think that might play a role in this. Can I say, and I don't mean to claim credit here, but of course I mean to claim credit. I think I depressed the vote for the Trey Sermon head scratching award by lowering expectations on Trey Sermon on this podcast for three months. And that I think if this was a different group of people, 
Uh, I think we prepared people for Trey Sermon to not be J.K. Dobbins, maybe more than other places did. So Trey Sermon was third. And the winner, and also I would have voted for him, was Zach Harrison. So it's a unanimous, all of us thought he would win, all of us thought he should win, and he did win. Zach Harrison, most head-scratching, 36%. Sean Wade, 22%. Trey Sermon, 18 Marcus Hooker, 9 Josh Myers, 8 I almost voted for Josh Myers because I he, he yeah. just was not that good in the last game. And it's like, that guy's good. That guy is like good. And he has just gotten beat a few times that I get it. I mean, everybody gets beat sometimes, but it does. It literally has made me scratch my head of like, wow, I, I'm really surprised that happened. Not every single snap, not every single snap, but just, I thought maybe he would be at a level of like, he just, he just dominates. And I just, I just don't think that happens. And I'm not pretending I've watched every single snap 50 times of the offensive line, but I did think both Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers would maybe be a little more dominant snap after snap than they have been so far, which is why I put them both on here. Again, Josh Myers got 8%. Wyatt Davis got 3%. Jamison Williams got a single vote. Last one. This is not a player. This is a group. What is the biggest unanswered football question for the rest of the season? I said football question because I didn't want a million people to write in and say, is COVID going to cancel the season? Because that's not what we're trying to talk about. Other got 3%. Maybe there were people who said that. The options here. Defensive end pressure, secondary play, interior of the offensive line play, and running back play. Steven, who do you think won and what would you have voted for? I think secondary won, and that's what I would have voted for, but specifically what's going to happen with that high safety position and also how they're going to handle that slot cornerback position where it was Marcus Williamson on first and second down and usually Cam Brown on third down. Is that an opportunity for maybe Ryan Watts to carve out a role for himself? So those two spots specifically – when I'm talking about the secondary. And we do have to remember, Marcus Williamson's playing a lot right now. Like yeah. Marcus Williamson has sort of been the answer to that question in a lot of ways. He's played uh, around 120 snaps. He's like fifth on the 41, team. Yeah, 41 in game one, 39 in game two, and 47 against Rutgers. So he's sort of been like his own replacement there in a lot of ways. I mean, mm-hmm. they really are leaning on Marcus Williamson. And, and you know, he's – I don't know if the secondary has been great, but he, he's, he's held up decently. So, all right, so you would vote for secondary. You think secondary won. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, I, I was the same on both. I mean, I said months ago that if Ohio State doesn't win a national championship, it'll, I think it'll probably be because the defensive, play, defensive back play didn't get there, and I still feel that way three games in. I voted for running back because I still – I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know – if they're going to keep splitting, are they going to move away from Trey Sermon? If you lean on Master Teague, then what happens? I think we have an idea. I think everybody's kind of come around on what Master Teague is, which is even Ryan Day has. Ryan Day says the same thing. Ryan Day, I can't remember exactly what the question was, but he was sort of asked like, hey, Master Teague, you know, breaking tackles or big runs. And he's like, that's not what he's supposed to do. He's just supposed to run, hit a hole, run straight ahead and get as many yards as he can. Like he he really, he sort of lowered the expectation level of like, I don't even want him to try necessarily to be thinking about breaking big runs, just move the chains, which again is like, okay, well, if they do lean on him more and master T goes from 16 or 17 carries a game to 22 or 23 carries a game, what will that look like? I remain sort of fascinated by that. But you guys were right. Secondary play won overwhelmingly. 57% secondary. Running back 23. Defensive end pressure 11. 
interior offensive line five and other got 3%. So listen, you know, the, it, it is a very interesting team in a lot of ways because they have three absolute stud superstars playing at the, t- the top of their game in the passing game. And then they have a lot of questions. And in the rush after the Rutgers game, and again, I, I read a lot of them in the moment. I went back this week and reread a lot of those sort of in-the-moment post-game Rutgers comments that we get, more than 270 immediate texture comments. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of people saying, nope, this team's not good enough. And then, you know, I think you get a little removed from it and people calm down a little bit and realize, hey, everybody has problems. But somebody in that mix said something to the effect of, this team is one superstar and a bunch of other guys who sort of like maybe think they're superstars but aren't. And I thought that was, you know, whatever. I'm paraphrasing it. That's not exactly what they said. I thought it was maybe, whatever, 15% too harsh. But I also kind of got what they were saying of like, Justin Fields, and we have said it and we're going to keep saying it, is as good as you have seen as an Ohio State quarterback, and it's as good as you will see as an Ohio State quarterback. But across the board, right, like where's your Orlando Pace? Where's your Jeff Okuda? Where's your Ryan Shazier? Where's your Chase Young? Where's your, you know, Nick Mangold? Where, like, really, right? I mean, Wilson and Olave are playing at a really super high level, but compared to a lot, of Ohio state teams it's those guys haven't quite shown up yet. And now maybe by the end of the year, Tommy Togi, will be as good as any defensive tackle we've seen at Ohio state in the last 20 years. Maybe by the end of the year, it's like Sean Wade locks it in. And is like, man, that is a reminder. This dude is legit. He is a first round corner. He is absolutely next in line of those guys. Maybe by the end of the year, Pete Warner is like, yeah, you know what? Pete Warner kind of is like Ryan Shazier. Like, what are we looking for? Look at this guy. He's all over the field. But guys have played pretty well, but they just, they actually honestly, and and you might want to expand it again. I would expand it just from Justin to those three. I would expand it to Justin, Garrett, and Chris. Beyond those three, they're honestly a little short on superstars, which is like, oh, they only have three superstars. But honestly, like lots of times when they're trying to win a national championship, they have six. Honestly, they do. Mm-hmm. So maybe Sean Wade will be that in the second half of the year. Maybe Tommy Togia will be that. Maybe Pete Warner will be that. Maybe Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers will reassert themselves and be that. But I don't know as we do a midseason awards three games into a season, I don't know that any of those guys are there yet, which just means it's all really, it's all about Olave, Wilson, and Fields. So those are our midseason awards. Come join us around, I would say around four. The noon games, right? I mean, they usually last like three and a half hours. We'll give time, everybody to go to the bathroom, get a drink, settle in. Maybe 3.45 in that area. Do about an hour post-game pod on Saturday. And if you can't be part of it, you don't want to be part of it, look for that in your podcast feed. So everybody out there listening, you're used to that post-game podcast. It is our most popular podcast of the week. People like to hear how we react. We're going to try, you know, we're not going to be in there asking questions of Tom Allen and Mel Tucker, but we're going to try to react in the same way. We're just going to be reacting to Ohio State's next opponent, the Indiana Hoosiers, instead of Ohio State. So if you want to spend your Saturday with us, if you just want to catch up with the pod, 
later Saturday night. That's the plan. And then Ohio State, Indiana next week. We'll have a lot of good stuff for you. We appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you guys being tech subscribers. We appreciate you reading cleveland.com slash OSU. And anybody who is dropping reviews at Apple Podcasts, we love those as well. So for now, for Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. Our picks are in, even if they're not about the Buckeyes. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>